0: We covered Romans 8. Diana used a phrase, I release everyone and everything to you. Did that scare anyone? That feels really risky. And then when we covered Romans 9, we talked about the imagery of the potter and the clay. And as the clay, there's a constant reshaping Happening. That's scary too. God desires intimacy with us, it requires a lot of vulnerability. And what comes up with that? when we think about prayers like, I release everyone and everything to you, when we think about the reality of he is constantly shaping us, reshaping us, at work on a deep level within us, we have to acknowledge that fear is, fear is gonna be everywhere and we have to start by looking at fear is countercultural it there is a lot of pressure to smile all the time be happy all the time to you know strength this notion that strength equates the absence of fear and what i would say is when we look at the bible no strength is actually the presence of fear strength is acknowledging and being on like having the courage to be honest enough to acknowledge that fear is very much present when we consider our position of being that clay when we so desperately desire to be the potter of course we are going to be scared all the time and so the goal is not to walk in absence of fear but the goal is to learn how to walk in the presence of fear fear is uncomfortable we would love for i'm just going to keep moving back because i want to see all of you at the same time so we're just going to be up against the wall here fear is uncomfortable. It, our instinct is gonna be to try to squash it, remove it. The growth point is learning how to not only walk with the existence of fear, but also learn how to utilize fear. It's meant to be a tool in our tool belt. So I wanna remind you guys on purpose of emotions. Emotions have a job. Emotions are not the enemy. We spend a whole lot of wasted time judging emotions. Emotions are meant to be our helpmates. And I'm a slide behind, sorry guys. Um, So the job of emotions, they're to get your attention. Think of them as a newborn, wah, wah. They're meant to get our attention to deliver a message. So similar to newborn, get your attention with the cry to deliver the message. I'm scared, I'm cold, I'm hungry. Emotions are trying to get our attention to deliver a message, to prompt us towards insight or action. So a big part of our work, and I would say especially for women because we add a whole lot of judgment around emotions, apologizing for tears. Um, feeling ashamed or guilty for anger, um, feeling ashamed or guilty for fear, you know, if if I was really, you know, we'll add these, like, if and, like, shame statements, you know, if if I was really walking close to the Lord, I wouldn't be feeling Afraid. If I was really trusting my husband, I wouldn't be feeling anger or doubt or fear. Um, if you know, and we'll we'll add these different lie statements, essentially that are putting this unnecessary guilt around the emotion, rather than allowing the emotion to get our attention to draw us into a place of insider action which then can lead to a deeper space because remember God's goal is intimacy with him drawing us back ever since the garden where we chose created things over the creator and sin came in and sin's been working to separate us From God and separate us from one another and shut us down because we are warriors, but sin doesn't want us walking around this earth like we're warriors. So it is trying to shut us down. And ever since that choice that we made, God has been reaching out to us, going, I see you, I love you, I'm going to create opportunities. Uh, for you to reconnect with me in that vulnerable intimate way so I want to look at some characters from the bible as examples of the work that that fear can do in prompting us towards insight or action so let's look at Moses Moses had an identity problem we can relate Who am I to receive this calling? What if people think I made it up? I'm unqualified. Please choose someone else. Mm -hmm. Moses eventually stopped arguing. We've all been in places like that. God shows up in a burning bush and we go, Surely you mean someone else. I am not qualified for this. Have you heard me talk? I can't string words together coherently. Have you seen my choices? I'm impulsive. When I get angry, I have a hard time controlling myself. I had to run away. Those people know who I am. And God's going, no, I know who you are. I'm the owner of your identity. And some of us need to go back to the basics. Who does God say I am? Because I have fallen into the pit of who someone in my life claims that I am, or who my fear suggests that I am, or who my past choices my sins, the things I still actively struggle with, the messages and the lies that those are trying to put over me in an identity place. And God is going, no, I am the only one who gets to speak identity over you. And I want you to come back to that place. And we need to camp out on that for a while. And then when we see Moses finally move forward in his calling, what I love is that he still circles back. The doubts and fears still come up. And that is a truth that we need to hang on to, is just because you've walked forward in something especially if you've had to do a decent amount of work to take that step forward, it doesn't mean that doubt or fear won't still come up. And don't let when those happen, because it will happen, when those moments happen, don't let it suggest to you that the work you've done never actually happened or that you're somehow not stepping forward in the way that God's asked you to step forward. No, it allowed the doubt and fear in those times. It's simply meant to drive you back in because we're human. And if, if so, take Moses, for example. If Moses, after the burning bush, had then said, okay, I've got it, thank you very much. I've, you know, reconnected. I've done the heavy work to believe who you say I am over who the Egyptians or the Israelites say that I am or, you know, what my sin, what my shame has said that I am. All right, I'm going to walk forward. And if he had never reconnected with God, right, he'd just be like, that's not that's not how it's designed to be, right? It's not supposed to be. You have that God moment, you receive your next step, you maybe do some inner work that's supposed to be done, and then you run off on your own. No, it's reconnect, reconnect, circle back. Um, It's like the Moses and God, the coach and the player in that moment. The coach doesn't want the player to just well, thank you very much, coach, and now I'll, I'll go do it all on my own. No, the coach wants the player to come back and go, okay, what's next? What, what do you see? Where do I need to keep working? What, what play would you like me to run? Joshua. Joshua is a great example of fear, right? Here is this mighty warrior who was afraid. How many times when God's talking to him is God saying be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. This was a gnarly intense like lead warriors kind of man and so often God had to say be strong and courageous. And I love thinking about Joshua for two reasons. One is sometimes when we're faced with what's ahead, just the sheer magnitude of it makes us quiver. And the second is Joshua normalizes for us. God never said, Joshua, cut it out. Joshua, why are you afraid? Joshua, why are you doubting me Joshua don't you know that I'm bigger than this Mount Everest that you're looking at God didn't judge Joshua's emotions but he invited him in the do not be afraid it's not a do not be afraid like you know knock it off it's a do not be afraid in if you direct your eyes to focus on me I will overshadow Mount Everest if you direct your eyes to focus on the works I have already done in your midst the miracles I have performed before you you will find yourself filling up with courage to face this thing that has you quivering in your boots. God's invitation to Joshua was a perspective correction. And he makes the same invitation to us. Esther, what if? One of those nasty phrases that can put us in a spiral. What if? What if? What if? It feels too risky. Sometimes we would rather stay in a just okay place because God's invitation to great feels too risky. I'm good. It's like when Jackson was talking about a couple Sundays ago, uh, going through Romans, was talking about being in... That raft being in that boat and God putting his hand and us going hey we're good and God's like no actually you're not you're really not you know Esther hello you guys are on a course towards imminent death no I I'm good and so often in our lives he's going you're really not okay You keep putting a Band-Aid over it saying, we're okay, we're just fine. You're really not just fine. Let me take that Band-Aid off so I can deal with what's festering underneath. Esther, lean into me. Follow the course I'm laying before you so that I can perform a miracle in your midst. Peter. Peter. Peter kept trying to prove himself. He kept trying to stand on his own two feet. Peter, who would become the rock of the church, needed to learn how to stand on the rock that is Christ. And often that's our issue, is we are looking to step on things that are good, but we're never meant to sustain our weight. And so sometimes we have a Peter moment of, oh, I'm scared because I'm I'm on the wrong foundation. I need to shift over to being on the foundation of Christ because that's the only thing that can withstand all of the things in this world, the people and the words and the situations. John the Baptist. I mean, here's a mighty man of faith who dealt with major doubts and that really normalizes for us it's okay to ask hard questions it's okay to not be sure 15 years into service you know John had to had to just reconnect and check in and go was I right? Are you who you say you are? It's in that case, the fear was, it's like going back in to the coach in terms of the fear drove John to re-engage with his power source. And Christ in his tenderness was pointing John back to prophecies in Isaiah to go, yeah, buddy, I am who I say I am. And I see you. And a lot of times we just know, like we need to know that we're seen. And then Mary, the gravity of responsibility, what you're asking me to do is unreasonable. And God is in the business of asking us to do unreasonable all the time. And we have a choice because he will let us stay in stagnant. He's not going to force us into unreasonable. And we could move along in American happy. And be rather stagnant. Or We can choose the unreasonable and enter upside down living, but it's hard, and it's scary, and it's tiring, and it's risky. But then you experience the peace that surpasses understanding. Then you experience the rest that he offers that doesn't make sense then you your eyes open to the miracles in your midst that the god who did all of those crazy things throughout the bible is still actively at work in our midst doing the crazy He is not a safe God. He offers the safety of intimacy, but following him is not safe. And he gives us that choice. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't wanna make assumptions looking at these stories, but I think these folks probably could have said, I'm good. It that's too much. That's too risky. It's it's unreasonable. I'm I'm fine. And he would have used somebody else. So our job is to develop a more comfortable relationship with fear. And so one of the things to look at is what might your fear be trying to tell you? Tim Keller has a great sermon titled, Praying Your Fears. And in it, he talks about three, follow your thread, which is letting the fear It's essentially what I was saying earlier as far as the job of emotions. Get your attention, deliver a message, prompt you towards insider action. He phrases it as follow your thread. Relocate your glory. So that is looking at sometimes our fear is trying to give us a heads up that we've put other people on the throne in our lives or other things on the throne in our lives or we're standing on things that we were never meant to stand on. So, for example, maybe as I'm following the thread of my fear, it's giving me a heads up that I have put uh, control on the throne and when I'm in that waiting room and there's no clear what's next and I'm turning the Rubik's cube because God's made me a really good problem solver and I'm not seeing a solution It has me gripped with fear and so maybe the fear is trying to let me know sweetie you have come to rely on your abilities that I gave you they're great abilities and they can be really useful but they were never meant to take my place so relocate your glory in terms of let your vision fill with me and make sure your feet are anchored in me and then we can talk this out and then we can work this out and then we can look at yeah i'll let you use your skills because i gave them to you they're useful But they're meant to be used as an outpouring of your engagement with me. And they're meant to be used as an overflow of my strength running through you. They weren't meant to be used as you running off on your own, doing the world according to you. and see the substitute is just that piece of it when when Christ so in the garden when we chose created things over the creator and sin came in and separated us from him and we were filled with the cancer of sin right and Temporary substitutes, temporary substitutes in terms of, you know, the sacrifice. It required death in order to reconnect us with a holy God. And then Christ comes in and he's that ultimate sacrifice. And he now takes our place, which is the miracle of grace, right? That as messed up I could tell you my sins from this morning. Like, we can't go 35 minutes without, right? As messed up as we are, that Christ is like, hey, I I gotcha. And that when God the Father looks at us, he sees his perfect son. Remembering that Christ is our substitute. He's standing in the gap for us. That... It's not ever about what we can do for ourselves. That would be, we're in the negative with that. And so as we think about the message from Psalm 3, it's, and the the context of it is David running for his life. He has screwed up his life royally Um, he you know just is a very relatable human being Um, and going God it's bad (laughs) but I know that you're the shield around me and the lifter of my head and that the message in that is I'm scared, but I know that you often take me into danger to accomplish deeper purposes. I know that you often ask the unreasonable to perform something mighty in my midst. And your protection only works when I'm following you. And that is that image of the shield around. If we picture like the gladiator, this is the kind of shield that's the full body, but three-sided. So it only works when we're moving forward. The minute I say, I'm out, this is too much. It's too risky. I can't handle the being in this waiting room. It makes me anxious. I need to see what's coming next. As soon as we let the doubts overtake us, as soon as we turn our back, we're fully exposed. The protection only works As we're moving forward but that's moving forward into the risky and so it has to be driven by trust and that's that's what he wants from us right he wants the kind of vulnerability and intimacy that's based on trust let your vision fill with me Anchor yourself into the truth of who I am. I'm not a cruel father. It might feel risky and scary and unreasonable. But I'm a good dad. You can trust me. And The lifter of the headpiece is really mind-boggling when we think of David's resume. None of us have sinned worse than him, unless you have a criminal history we're not aware of. None of us have sinned worse than him, and yet he could say, I know you're proud of me. That's the lifter of the headpiece. I know you're proud of me. Excuse me, David. (laughs) But he's looking back on when, so God, after the garden, reconnect with us, reconnect with us, make a way through covenants. And so David's looking back on the covenant that God made with Abraham. And when God made that covenant, he had Abraham split the animals in half, because that was how you made your covenant promise was if I break this contract, how many marriages would stay together if we did this? Like if I break this contract, may this happen to me. And Abraham's anticipating that it'll be both parties, especially if you look at greater versus lesser. Greater king would never, like it, it would always come from the lesser. You're going to, you know, you'll be the one to pay if this gets messed up. And yet, God, the greater king, was the only one to walk through. And in that was saying, it's not about you. I'm enough. It's not about what you bring to the table. It really isn't. I'll use you. I adore you. I delight in you. You are a masterpiece. I have created you to be a mighty warrior and accomplish great purposes in this world, but I don't need you. I'm enough on my own. And so David, having screwed up his life royally, could say, but I know you're proud of me, because he was thinking back to that message of I love you because you're mine. I don't love you because you make good choices. I don't love you because you're a good person. I love you because I have claimed you and you are mine. In our fear, we also need to remember that we are not alone. We live in an individualistic society that wants to send messages of, you're on your own, kid. Uh, Do what makes you happy. (laughs) You know, live your own self fulfilling life, live your personal best, and uh, work hard. Make it on your own, pull yourself up, get it together. Trevin Wax uh, gave a really interesting talk on pursuing faithfulness in an age of anxiety. If you wanna look it up, it's connected to the Gospel Coalition. And one of the things he talks about is he encourages us to remember the cloud of witnesses. And so with that, it's a perspective switch. Look back on the, like we did as we were looking at examples from the bible look back in scripture look back at your life look for evidence of his hand at work in these people's lives look for his evidence the evidence of his hand at work in your midst so look back look out we are part of a global church And we tend to be, and it's not, you know, any judgment with this, but we tend to be very narrow in our perspective. And so there can be power in look up and look out, broaden our awareness. What is God doing around the globe? Do you know? I don't really know. What is he doing in other parts of the world? How might that give me courage? If, you know, I mean, I can only imagine like some of the stories if we were to dig into it. And how might that give me courage for what I'm facing? And then remembering that we're part of the local church. And even in settings like this, that we are not meant to go it out on our own. Uh, That we were designed by a triune God. He built us for community. We're meant to walk together. And so looking at how do we come along side by side and draw courage from one another. Getting into the habit of telling our stories. Getting into the habit of celebrating the works that he's doing in our midst. Over and over again throughout the Bible, God says, remember, remember remind your children tell your children pass on the stories because we're so bad at remembering and even when we look at some of those examples from the bible how you know how often we go like three days from the miracle god i don't know i don't know if you can come through on this one this one might be too big and he's like are you kidding i just pulled water out of a rock and you're nervous that i can't feed you, or you're nervous that I can't meet this particular need. We do that all the time. And so developing practices of sharing our God stories with one another, pointing to him, because it also is practice in training our eyes to be filled with the vision of him. So as we come together, if we're pointing to him in our stories It helps us all get into the habit of turning our heads. Because sin wants to keep us in a posture of eyes down, very narrow, head down in shame, head down in fear, head down in being so consumed by the present concern, you know, the present situation, rather than head up and out and filled with his vision and filled with the stories of the miracles that he performs all the time. So when we think about posture, we want to train our eyes to look up, to look out, and to look back. And one of the phrases that I love from Psalm 77 is, to this I will appeal the years of the right hand of the Most High. And that position of right hand is a position of privilege that he brings us into through Christ. And so remembering that place of privilege, that place of protection, that place of provision, that place of sustenance, that that is where he invites us to dwell. And so in thinking about finding strength on the right side of God, I love this quote from Sophie McDonald. Because of Christ, we can come out of hiding. In fact, God invites us to run to him. He is our shield. So remembering the shield around me, which doesn't mean easy. It doesn't mean risk-free. But it does bring us to a place of depth. He is our shield, defense, fortress of protection. He's the one who guards our hearts. It's not our job to guard our hearts. But a lot of us have habits of doing that because we've been hurt. But it's it's not our job. It's his job to guard our hearts. We don't have to hide ourselves with garments of self-protection. And that's where fear tries to say, no, it's not safe, close up, hold off, cover yourself. Only you can keep yourself safe. Don't trust, don't step out, don't move forward, don't lift your head up. You don't deserve that. You know, fear, all those. We could brainstorm the hundreds of messages from fear and they would all be moving us towards that place of close off and self-protect. But he hides us in the shadow of his wings. And that is where we practice and we encourage one another to dwell that we would be women who are walking on the right side of the Most High. And that because of that place, not because of our own confidence, not because of our own abilities, not because we all have the right pedigree, that um, our strength, our courage, our boldness, walking out and calling, is coming because we're on the right side. And so I want to close with an image of Nova. <sighs> I'm not an animal person. Please don't judge me if you're like a huge animal person. But Nova has won my heart. She is a precious little six-pound morkey who has a, just a terrific personality. She thinks that she is this, you know, I use the word warrior a lot. So she pictures herself as, you know, supernova, like cape on, I can handle it all. But then she's so sweet and compliant that if she meets another dog, she's like, okay, I'll do whatever, I'll do whatever you want. And um, so Nova has this really fine hair. And we're really good about, you know, keeping it clean and brushing her and all of that. But what we didn't know was if it gets to be a certain length, it gets matted under, it becomes like carpet where it's so connected at the base. And so we took her into the groomer and they had to shave her really, really short. And through that, and they warned us ahead of time, this is, this can be very traumatic. For dogs. Um, And then on top of that, she got either a little bit of hair or some shampoo in her eyes from that and rubbed her eyes and got ulcers in her eyes. And so our sweet little brave, but loves people, loves animals, just wants to be with everybody, all of a sudden became very fearful. And So an image of Nova that connects in with us is she's sitting on the couch, so she has been wanting lots of snuggles. This happened last week, and she's just now becoming more like her old self, but she's been wanting lots of extra attention. And so she was sitting with my husband, and his phone was on vibrate, and it went off. And Nova ran and hid and started shaking. And we realized the vibrate was triggering the razor sound and feel for her. She's so sweet. I would just bring her with me if I could have. But she'd run around and try to, anyway, (laughs) hang out with all of you. She loves people. And, um, And that reminded me of us. That Nova she can't help the things that make her afraid. And because she loves her people, because she trusts her people, initially she ran away, but then she came to us and let us comfort her, but the shaking was still there. It took time for that to go away. And that's what it's like living life on the right side of God, is the things are gonna come up that make us afraid. We're going to be shaking. And as we're learning how to pray our fears, that it's a process of going, God, like, this is what's come up for me. And sometimes, like Nova, it'll be a trigger from something that happened in the past. Sometimes, like some of the different characters we looked at, you know, it's going to be, um. I'm faced with Mount Everest. I don't know what to do. Or this seems unreasonable. Or um, it's it's too. I'm sure you meant somebody else. Or a number of the other. You know, I've got I've got the doubts. I love you. I believe you. But I don't know. This thing has come up, and it's bringing some weird questions, and I'm not sure if that's okay to ask those. But. Doing that all as we're leaning into Him, allowing Him to cover us with His wings of comfort, of protection, of provision, that love that's described in some passages as like a mother to her child, you know, that kind of nurture, that kind of attachment, allowing Him to cover us as we quiver under him. And then allowing the acknowledgement of the fear to deliver the message that's going to prompt us towards the insider action that will drive us deeper in our relationship with him, deeper into our footing on the rock, deeper into our posture of calling um, deeper into our willingness to take on hard things that we would be women who do hard things and who really do change the world because that's what he invites us to participate in and it's a world that desperately needs changing not because of policies or politics or any but because we're walking among the living dead who are desperate for a drink of living water desperate and as we step forward in courage we can offer that to them so I'm going to pray we're going to transition into worship and what I would encourage you during this time and make it what it needs to look like for you it creates some space. Keep your eyes closed. You know, stand up in boldness and proclaim like whatever you're needing. But what I want you to do is practice praying out your fears. And so even in, if I choose, I'm going to stand in boldness, maybe I'm standing in boldness because my practice in praying out my fears is I'm going to remind my soul of the truth of who you are and the works that you do. Because that's what worship is, right? The truth of who he is and what he does and who he says I am. All right. Father, you are...